Welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 47. Today's class has been generously sponsored for a very uh, special event that's happening today. Uh, today is the sixth anniversary when uh, Rabbi Morris Batesh gave his kidney to his brother, Fred Batesh. And uh, Baruch Hashem, they're both doing well, six years later, inshallah, for many years. And their mother, Cheryl Batesh, wanted to thank Hashem publicly that her children were zochet to have such a miracle happen to them. So we bless them with many years of good health and beautiful life. Amen. Is Moshe ben Sarah was the giver and the recipient Yehoshua Elimelech ben Sarah. Okay, let's, conti let's continue. Last week, we spoke about the purpose of creation. We spoke about how the world was created in order that we should be able to become like Hashem and to become close to Him which we said is a great pleasure. We spoke about how this was given to us, not as a gift, rather as an opportunity where we would choose to become or choose not to become. The Pasuk says it more beautifully than any class by saying what Moshe Rabbeinu tells us that our mission is to follow Hashem's ways, to try to imitate Hashem in all of His attributes, and the natural result of being like Him is that we will become attached to Him. That is the purpose of the creation of mankind. It's important for all of us to know that what we learned last week was not just information that maybe we didn't know before and now we know. Sometimes in life you learn something and you say, oh, I didn't know that. Okay, now you know it. But it's a lot more than that. It's a lot more beneficial than that. And it's a lot more relevant than that. What we learned last week, and this information I just shared with you as a review, is something that needs to be with us every day, all day. The great Sefer Mesilat Yesharim, in his first chapter, opens up with the famous words, as he describes, he says, the foundation of greatness and the roots of the perfect human. He's going to describe to us what is the foundation that's going to build the great building of our lives. Just like a great building, a tall building, a powerful building is supported by a foundation. 
and perhaps it's surprising to those who've never seen one. Nobody would ever think that this magnificent building is actually being held up by something that nobody sees. Says the Mesilat Yesharim, the great building of life, each and every individual, is a beautiful building, or at least potentially a beautiful building. Each and every life is a potentially powerful building. It's all potential. But the source of the success is going to be in the foundation. Says the Mesilat Yesharim, just like you cannot build a tall skyscraper without a powerful foundation, you cannot build a great human without a great foundation. So he's about to tell us what that foundation is. Besides the foundation, he also calls it the shoresh, the roots of the perfect person. Roots are a little bit different than foundation. They too are not visible. They too support the tree and hold it up. When the winds come and they're about to blow the tree down, the roots pull it back. Sometimes in life, there are strong winds. A person is going through some difficulties. The foundation may not be strong enough for such a situation, but the roots are able of bringing the person back to where they were. The roots also give nutrition to the tree. They supply constant needs that the tree has. Foundations don't do that. But roots do that. Says the Mesilat Yesharim that the great person needs solid foundations and strong roots. This way they will grow very tall, they will be very strong, and they will be constantly energized. And he says, I'm going to give you how to build that foundation. What materials build the human foundation? Is it going to be bricks? Is it metal? Is it cement? What's going to build the human foundation? We know what builds the buildings. Says the Mesilat Yesharim. He says, Sheyit Barer, that a person needs to be clear. Clear means without cloudiness. Clear means without a doubt. Clear means like a person can feel the pain that they're feeling. It's clear to them they're in pain. There's no doubt about that. Clear is when they feel happiness. It's clear to them. Clear is when they see someone that they know. They know that person. It's clear. Says the Mesilat Yesharim, you have to be clear about something. Unfortunately, very, thing, very few things we're clear about in life. We know a lot of things. We guess a lot of things. We hope. But this one says the Mesilat Yesharim, you, you can't be 90%. You got to be clear. Has to be barur. Ve'yit amet. Not only it has to be clear, but it has to be emet. 
is a difference between being clear and being emet. Emet means true. A person can be clear about what they want to do, but they can be dead wrong. They could be clear about what's good and could be wrong. Not everything we were clear about did we end up being right. You could be very clear that you need to marry this person and you could be wrong. You could be clear that this is the way you're going to succeed in life and you could be wrong. Just because you're clear, it doesn't mean it's emet. And just because it's emet, it doesn't mean you're clear. Says Mesilat Yesharim, you need to be clear. Not about everything. It would be nice to be clear about everything. But he says, in what I'm about to tell you, you have to be clear. And you have to know it's emet. And if you don't, you got to keep going and asking and figuring it out. Until you get to the point where you say, okay, this information, I'm clear. And I know it's true. What is it? What do I have to be clear about in order to become? I'm laying the foundation now of the great person. The foundation is not made of bricks. It's made of this clarity and this emet that a person is holding on to. What is it? He says, Ma hovato be'olamo. One simple piece of information. Do you know what is your goal in life? What is the target? Where do you want to go? What do you want to achieve? What is it that you're working all of your life for? Every day we work for something. But those are small goals. We're hungry, so we eat. But that's a small goal. A person needs to work to make money so they can pay rent or they can pay the mortgage or they can buy a car. That's a small goal. And all those goals are important. But to build the great person, you have to be clear about the biggest goal. Why are you doing all of this? For what reason do you have to live altogether? You know, you're trying to eat so you could live. You want to be healthy so you could live. You want to make money so you could live. But why do you need to live for? What, what is the purpose of this whole life? For what reason am I and you and every person here with us, why are they here? What is the goal? When you get clarity about the target of your life, says the Mesilat Yesharim, you have just built the foundation of greatness. You will become a great person. You will become a powerful person. You will be an energized person. You will be such a big person that everyone will see you and they will recognize just by watching you. And where did it come from? People will say, oh, well, because they do that. You know why that person is great? Because they do this. Or because they're great at that. Or because they're tall here. No, no, no. Says Ms. Lashen, that's just the second floor, the third floor. That's what you see. That's not what makes people great. What makes people great is not their accomplishments. That's the consequence. That's the fruits that you get to see. But the greatness doesn't come from what people accomplish. People accomplish because they have a very powerful foundation and strong roots, very healthy roots. 
And then you'll see all of the things that you see and more. And says the Mesilat Yesharim, how do I get those roots? Where do I buy that foundation? Where do I pick it up from? Who's selling it? And he says, it's not for sale. It's actually free. It's a moment of clarity. And the clarity is, do you have clear what you're trying to achieve in this world? You were born, I was born, one day we're going to check out of this world. Are we clear about why we're here? What we're looking to achieve? Where we're going? That is the foundation of the great person. Says the Messiah, okay, so what is it? So what, what, why am I here? What clarity do you want me to have? I'm ready. I want to have clarity in my mission. I do. So tell me, what is my mission? But obviously, everyone's got their own little lane in the mission. Nobody's the same. Everyone's got their own way of getting to the mission. But there is one mission for all of us. It's the big umbrella that puts us all under it. Says the Mesilat Yesharim, shocking. It's really shocking. I mean, it's not shocking to me or many of us that have read this hundreds of times, maybe more. But really it's shocking. Because you're expecting him to say, okay, you're here to be a servant of God. You're here so you could be a good person. You're here so you could do mitzvot. You're here to help people. You're here to have children and, and continue life after you. You're, you're expecting, you're here to be a holy person. Who knows what would come into our minds when we're about to fill in the next words of the Mesilat Yesharim, especially written by one of the greatest rabbis of the last thousand years. He says a shocking statement. He says a person was created only. Ella. Ella means only. There's one purpose in life. Lehit aneg al Hashem. Lehit aneg means to take pleasure. Whoa. To take pleasure. That's not just the reason why you're created. It's also the purpose why you're created. Your mission and my mission statement is to be able to say that we have hit a point that we are able and we are lehit aneg. We are living a life of pleasure. This is our goal. Do you live a life of pleasure? Well, you probably say, I have pleasure sometimes. No, no, that's not a life of pleasure. Everybody has pleasure sometimes. That's not what we're talking about. Lehit aneg means to be a living piece of pleasure. That means 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I even included sleep. Because when you have pleasure when you're up, you also enjoy your sleep. That's what Shlomo Melech says. When you're not a happy person when you're up, you also don't sleep very well. But if you're happy when you're up, your sleep is sweeter. 
That's the words of Shlomo Melech in my own words. So I said 24-7. Anybody here living a 24-7 life of pleasure? You probably think I'm nuts. What is he talking about? 24-7 pleasure? That's not realistic. That's not within human realm or possibility. Are you talking about the next world? Is that what you mean, Rabbi? Are we talking about Olam Haba? Are you talking about Gan Eden? Maybe you mixed up the places? Well, let's read the Messiah Yisharim. So he says, we were created lehit aneg, to take pleasure al Hashem, like we mentioned last week. To take pleasure in living a life with Hashem. Velehanot, and to benefit, miziv shechinato. I'm saying very deep things here. We don't have to understand everything, but don't worry, have patience. Don't tune out. Velehanot, miziv shechinato, to benefit from the radiance of His divine presence. I'm just translating, I don't know what I'm saying. But there seems to be some radiance, some tremendous pleasure that radiates from being close to Hashem. We can imagine such a thing. And that radiance is a tremendous pleasure. And he says that this radiance that emanates from Hashem, he says he calls it Ta'anug Amiti, real pleasure. Right away you see from here there's fake pleasure and real pleasure. He calls it Ta'anug Amiti. He calls it the sublime pleasure. It's like, not pleasure, it's pleasure on a different level. Sublime pleasure. So again, let's review again. I hope you're patient with me. Says the Mesilat Yesharim, there are two types of pleasure. There is lehit aneg, there's having pleasure with Hashem. And then he says there is the pleasure, the sublime pleasure of experiencing the radiance that emanates from Hashem. So that's another level. There's taking pleasure. So again, if I'm with Hashem, I can have pleasure. Or I can have the sublime pleasure of actually experiencing the radiance that comes out of Him is hitting me. Says the Mesilat Yesharim, Umekom Aidunazeh. Where is the place where you get this radiance? I'm, meaning the pleasure is hitting you directly. It's in your bones. Where is that place? How do you get to that place? He says, Who ba'olam haba? The place of the radiance, the sublime pleasure, that's in the next world. Says Ravolva, Alava Shalom, one of the great rabbis of the last hundred years. He says, so where is the pleasure place? Let's review. The pleasure is to be close to Hashem. The sublime pleasure is to feel the radiance that comes from Him. And he says, and the place where the radiance is felt is in the next world, not this world. So where is the ta'anug then? Where is the first one? The pleasure that you described. Not the sublime one. The sublime one is in the next world. But where is the ta'anug? He doesn't talk about it. 
Where is that place? Says Rabbi, that place is here. That place is Olam Hazeh. It's this world. This world is a world of pleasure. But it's only a world of pleasure for those who decide that's what they want. You see, as Hazal tells us, you've heard this before, but I'm not sure if we heard it in the right context. Hazal tells us in Perkei Avot that this world is similar to a hallway and Olam Haba is the hall, the banquet hall. What is the comparison? What does that mean? This world is the hallway and the next world is the hall itself. What are they trying to say by making this comparison? What is it, why do they make hallways, by the way? How come you don't just walk into the hall? You should just open the door of the building and you're in the hall. How come they make hallways? For what reason? I didn't go to a wedding to be in the hallway. I went to the wedding to be in the hall. Why did they make a hallway altogether? It's a good question. The answer is, because it's hard to walk in straight into the hall. You need to make sure you look good. You gotta put yourself together before you walk in. Hey, you gotta check your tie, at least for me. Make sure the tie is good, make sure you're clean, make sure you, everything is good. You gotta mentally prepare. You're about to go into the wedding. And then you could go. You don't just walk into a wedding. Imagine you walk into the hall, but you're not ready. Your tie is not on, your shirt is off, your this, that, that doesn't work. So they give you a hallway, so you prepare yourself, and then when you go into the hall, you're ready to go. How do you get ready for a hall? How do you get ready? I mean, I know I'm asking silly questions, but I'm, I'm, there's a reason why I'm asking you. Think about it. How do you get ready for a wedding hall? Not where. I know where. Where is the hallway? But how do you get ready in the hallway for the wedding hall? You know how? By preparing as if you're in the wedding hall. So that when you go in, so then you feel that you're in the right place. You're able to experience it with the utmost preparation and pleasure. You don't want to be in the hall unprepared. You don't want to walk in there with your jeans. You can't walk in there with the wrong clothing. You're going to be embarrassed. You're not going to enjoy it. You got to prepare yourself. How do you prepare yourself? By imagining that you're in the hall right now. When you're home preparing for a wedding, you have to imagine you're at the wedding. And you have to look right now the way you would look at the wedding. And that's your preparation. That's the way Hazal tell us is the relationship of this world and the next world. So let's think for a moment. The next world, we just called it, it's... it's Gan Eden, it's not Gan Eden, it's more than Gan Eden. It's the place of pleasure, sublime pleasure. So how do you prepare in this world for a world of pleasure? What is the preparation? 
The answer is that you need to figure out how to live with pleasure in this world. If you don't prepare in this world, living a life of pleasure, you will go into the next world, the world of pleasure, and have no connection to it because you don't know how to have pleasure. This world is a world of pleasure for anyone who desires pleasure. It doesn't depend on your life situations. It doesn't depend on who raised you or who you're married to or who your children are. It doesn't matter how much money or how little money you have. The pleasure of this world depends only on you. There are people who know and learn how to take the pleasure that exists in this world. And if you know how to do it, you could do it 24-7. And there are people who don't know how to live with pleasure. They could have everything in the world. They could have all the money. They could have all of the gifts that God gives them, but yet they find a way to be miserable. It's very possible. You see, taking pleasure is a choice. It's a life mission, but it's your mission, and it's my mission. It's a choice to enjoy life. It's not what happens to you. It's if you're ready to know how to enjoy life. This may sound like a big haydush to you, but that's what our rabbis are telling us, that the next world is the banquet of pleasure. If you don't know how to have pleasure, so you will go there and you will have nothing to do there because you don't know how to enjoy. Where do you prepare yourself for the enjoyment of the next world? This is the world where you learn how to have pleasure. After hearing it, you know, it's pretty simple. It's not that complicated. Could you imagine what we learned about the purpose of life? It's not just an idea. It's not information that now we learned. Says the Mesilat Yesharim, you need to have this with you every day. Clarity. This is your goal. This is your purpose. To enjoy this world and to take pleasure in this world is a mission statement and needs to be clearly etched in your mind and my mind every single day. Because the clearer we are, the more we will be able to have ta'anug in this world. And if we have ta'anug in this world, you're going to have aidun, the sublime pleasure of the next world. Like our rabbis tell us, for example, that there are things in this world that are me'en olam haba. They say, this is like a little taste of olam haba. It's one sixtieth, a little amount. Like they say, for example, Shabbat. Shabbat that's kept properly, 
Shabbat is me'en olam haba. I'm sure there are many people sitting here who understand the value of Shabbat and say, yeah, there's a little something in Shabbat that you can't find, not on Sunday, not on Monday, and not even on vacation days. You just can't find it. It's not there. Something very special about a holy Shabbat. And the holier the Shabbat, the more special it is. That's me'en olam haba. That's one sixtieth of the pleasure of the next world. So no matter how much pleasure we get in this world, and there's a lot, but it's only a little bit. But it's the preparation, just like the hallway. It's only a preparation for the banquet. Seems like a pretty easy task now. Who doesn't want to have pleasure? It's the one thing that unites all of us and all of humanity. While we may have different goals and different ideas and different minds, but one thing that we all want every single day, I want, you want, and every person that you'll ever meet, even if it looks not that way. Sometimes you look at a person and say, this person just doesn't want to enjoy life. And we convince ourselves that there are people who just don't want to enjoy life. And it's not true. Everybody wants pleasure. It unites us all. So since we want something like that, so this class is uh, obvious. Probably we don't have to even sit down and talk about it. Maybe I had to get you to this point to tell you that, by the way, you know, maybe you thought till now that pleasures is a bad thing. Maybe you thought that we shouldn't really be having pleasure. We're supposed to be anti-pleasure. We're supposed to, I don't know what you thought till now, but now we got clarity. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. This is our mission statement. To maximize our pleasure in life, where every moment of life is pleasure. That's right, every moment of life is pleasure. I say it again, because we can't even believe that that exists, but that's the reality, that's the expectation, that's the preparation, and that's the goal. So after you learn this information, you're probably ready to leave now. And I told you, you could leave any time in this class, because I keep talking a lot, I know no one to stop sometimes. Just leave any time you want. No pressure. But at this point, I guess we're ready to go because, okay, pleasures are, you know, pretty simple item. I know what they are. I know I want them, so you don't have to convince me about that. So we're ready to go. What more can I tell you about this subject? I think the biggest hidush I could tell you about this subject, perhaps more than what I just told you, because I think what we just learned in the last 20 minutes or so, is a hidush for many people. They don't know that's the purpose of creation. They don't know that pleasure is a choice. They don't know that we're preparing so we can enjoy the pleasure of the next world. But I think this one might be a bigger hidush. You know, if you would ask anybody, and I know that we've learned this parasha many times since we were little children, When Hashem created the world, and He created Adam, Adam Arishon, the first man. 
where was Adam Harishon? Where was Adam Harishon when he was created? And everyone's going to say, I know you're going to say, Gan Eden. He was in Gan Eden. We all know the story. He was in Gan Eden. Hashem told him, you could eat from these trees. This one you shouldn't eat from. But that's a mistake. And it's not just a mistake in information of history. It's a deadly mistake. It's a mistake that not only did we make when we read it then, but we probably make the same mistake every day. I will explain. The Torah does not say that Adam was born in Gan Eden. Actually, you'll be happy to know that the only one born in Gan Eden was a Hava, was the woman. Adam, the Torah says, was created. And then the Pasuk says, listen to this Pasuk. Vayikah Adonai Elohim et ha'adam. Hashem took Adam. Vayanihehu began Eden. And he put him in Gan Eden. He didn't create him in Gan Eden. He put him in a place called Gan Eden. Le'ovda, to work it, will shomra and to watch it. What does it mean Hashem took Adam? How do you take a human? You could take a table. You could take a chair. Why is he taking Adam? Is Adam incapable of walking? Adam was a healthy man. He was mature. He was the only mature baby that ever was born. He was fully mature. Talking and the whole the works. Why does it take him for? Just tell him. Here's Gan Eden. Bechawat. Here's Gan Eden. Go in. Comes Rashi and says, No, by Yikah. Torah is telling us that Lekaho Bidvarim. Naim. Hashem tried to convince him. Upitahu likanes. And he's trying to talk him into going into Gan Eden. When you have someone that doesn't want to do something, so you gotta figure out how to get him. You know, you ever say to someone, can we get him? What does that mean, can we get him? We're not gonna pick him up. It means that they're not interested. Can we get him? Can we get him to commit to this? Can we get him to come to Shul? Can we get him to go out with this girl? Can we get him? It doesn't mean you're going to grab him. It means you have to figure out how to grab him with your words. How to convince him that this is something good for you. Come on. Come. Do this. Do that. That's what happened on the sixth day of creation. Hashem is convincing Adam Arishon, convincing him to walk into Gan Eden. Lekaho bidvarim naim. Adam sees Gan Eden. Gan Eden means the garden of pleasure. And he doesn't want to go in. Now, if I was there, I think I would go in. I think they would have to stop me from going in. 
And yet we find that Hashem is trying to convince him. Adam, come on. I'll give you a prize. Adam, just trust me. It's a good, just Adam, come on. And Adam's like, no. You ever try to convince someone who doesn't want to do something? Nah, come on. And then you talk and talk and talk, and after you feel, you convince yourself again. Nah, I don't think. This is what's going on. Hashem, till finally, he convinced him. Adam says, okay, I'll go to Gan Eden. By the way, what's outside Gan Eden? You know, there are two choices. Gan Eden is one spot. And outside of Gan Eden, as you all know, there's a, there's, there's a garden of pleasure. And there's something called Gehinam. Okay, Gehinam is the garden of pain. Okay, there's two gardens. So, here he is, Adam Arishon is in Gehinam. He's in the garden. He's not in the garden of pleasure. And Hashem has to convince him to go into Ganaiden. What is going on here? Is Adam some some person who has either lost his mind or never had one? But we see Adam is very smart. Adam was a great man. He's talking to God on a very high level. Why does he need to be convinced to go into Ganaiden? Anyone who's tried to convince an alcoholic or drug addict to get help because they're living Gehinam to try to get them to Gan Eden can appreciate this. You have a person literally in Gehinam. His life is Gehinam. Yes, he has a few moments. Everybody's got moments of happiness. But the overall picture is a disaster. Unfortunately, there are plenty of people like that. And not very distant from us either. They're in our backyards, they're in our families. Now, sometimes I get a call from somebody. Could you please talk to this guy? I, I know the guy. No, please, we tried. Why don't you talk to him? No, no, we, you know, we tried. I tried. My cousin tried. My uncle tried. My cousin tried. This one. Maybe, maybe you can get them. And of course, you say to yourself, like, how can he not listen? Like, what's the question? It's black and white. Here's your life. You know you're in gay now. It's not a big haydush for you. I gotta convince you to go to Gan Eden? I have to convince you to have a better life? I have to convince you to enjoy yourself in this world? What, what are we talking about? Not only drugs, there are people who are literally drunk with anger. Their whole life is anger. They're always angry. Maybe worse than drinking. They're always angry. Always mad. Mad at this, mad at that, mad at everybody. 
It's a sickness. You need to get help. It's a serious problem. Your children are scared of you. Your family is scared of you. You're scared of you. You're a scary person. No one could talk to you. Look at you. You're miserable. All day long, you're, 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 you're bubbling. You need help. Isn't that, you can't live like that? What kind of gain now is that to live? I'm mad at the world. Come, let me help you. Let's talk about this. Let's figure this out. Let me take you to Gan Eden. Let me show you how it could look. Let me show you how it could be. Yeah, I'm good. You're not good. What are you talking about? It sounds ridiculous to the person talking, but it's no less ridiculous than this. Or more ridiculous than this. This is what's going on here. God is telling Adam, Sir, I have Gan Eden, garden of pleasure for you. Come in. Fadal. Adam says, Nah, I'm good. What an unbelievable story. Adam was not born in Gan Eden. He had to be convinced to go to Gan Eden. That's the story of our lives. This is not the story of Adam Arishon. This story is written for us because it's a story of our lives. Every one of us is standing by the door of Gan Eden. And the creator of the world says, Come on! Come on! Gan Eden! And we say, No, come on, I'm good. I'm enjoying Gainam right now. Why are you enjoying Gainam? What, what are you doing here? There's so much more for you in this world and way much more for you in the next world. And you have to convince. Hashem finally convinced him. Finally, he convinced Adam Arishon. Adam says, okay, I'll go to Gan Eden. Gan Eden was in a place Gan Eden isn't Olam Haba like people think. It's not the next world. When Hashem made Gan Eden, the Pasuk, He made Gan Eden Mikedem. This Gan Eden is on, on planet Earth. The garden of pleasure is here, not there. It's a mistake that we make. And every time you go to a wedding, one of the berachot that we make is, we ask Hashem, Sameach te Samach. Hashem, please bring simcha to this couple. The same way you made Adam happy in Gan Eden. Well, if Adam is in Gan Eden and I'm not, how can I pray that Hashem makes me happy like Adam? It's not possible. I don't live in Gan Eden. Gan Eden is the garden of pleasure. I don't live there. What kind of bracha is that? It's like asking, Hashem, please, let me enjoy my trip on the moon. What moon? You're not going to be on the moon. You're not living on the moon. Maybe people who go there and can live there can enjoy it, but you can't. What kind of bracha is that? Hashem, please, this couple should enjoy like Adam in Gan Eden. Is that possible? 
The answer is yes, because Gan Eden is here. Gan Eden is not in the next world. That's the story of creation. The first story of creation is a story of our lives. It's Hashem standing by the door saying, guys, come on. He'll give you a reward. You know, I'll give you some money. I'll give you a beracha. I'll promise you this. Just come to Canada. And so many times, we just say no. We'd rather stay where we are, even if it's Gainam. Gainam doesn't mean a fire burning. Gainam means the opposite of pleasure. That's what it means. You're in a world where you're not experiencing a life of pleasure. Now he's in Gehina, he's in Ganeida. Now finally, he convinces him. Good thing. He convinces him, he comes in. Hashem tells him, be careful. Make sure you do what it takes to stay in. Because you could be in Ganeida, just like you could be in Gehina and go to Ganeida, you could be in Ganeida and fall out to Gehina. Hashem tells him, there are things you can do here and things you can't do. If you want to stay in Gan Eden, there's rules. You eat from that tree, you're going to be out of, you're going to get thrown out of Gan Eden. So there's two things that we have to be careful about in life. Number one, we have to know where Gan Eden is and we got to jump in. And number two, in order to stay in, we must make sure that we don't do anything that we will get thrown out of it. Of course nobody wants to leave Gan Eden. Which fool is going to leave Gan Eden? When Adam Arishon was eating from that fruit that Hashem told him not to eat from, he, did he think he was going to have less Gan Eden? The opposite. He thought, by eating this, I'm going to have more Gan Eden. Which is the wish of every person who doesn't have the feelings of this desires for pleasures. Adam certainly did and wanted more Gan Eden. When you have something good, you want more of it. But in the process of trying to get more Gan Eden, he got thrown out of Gan Eden. Because sometimes things aren't as they look. And sometimes what you think is, isn't. And what you think isn't, is. And you have to be smarter. And you have to have a little more humility to understand something that might be bigger than all of us. You know, our story is very similar to the story of Yonah. Yonah is a famous story in the Navi. It's a story that we read about on Yom Kippur during Milha time. The simple story is of a prophet by the name of Yonah. And Hashem sends him on a mission and says, go to a city called Nineveh and go talk to them because they're really not doing good. Go help them make Teshuvah. And Yonah was not so excited about this mission. He felt that if the people in Nineveh would make Teshuvah, it would have negative ramifications on the Jewish people. 
They are making Teshuvah, and Am Yisrael is not making Teshuvah. So he tried to escape his mission. And the Pasuk says he went to a place called Yafo. There's an amazing, amazing book written by the Gaon Mevilna based on the Zohar that explains the book of Yonah on a whole different level besides the simple explanation, which is, but you know, the Torah has many ways to understand it. And he explains the story of Yonah as a mashal. It's all a parable about each and every one of our lives. Yonah, the prophet, is referring to our soul. Am Yisrael's neshama is like a prophet. Hazal say, Am Yisrael, even if the person is not a Navi, he is the son of a Navi. We have something in us, a neshama in us, that is like a prophet. And Hashem sends our neshama down into this world. And we have this unbelievable mission. What's the mission? To go to Nineveh. Says the Gaon, what's Nineveh? Nineveh is Neveh Hashem. This world is the garden of Hashem the house of pleasure where Hashem resides. In this world, there is something called Gan Eden. It's Neve Hashem. It's where Hashem resides. Hashem says, go to Nineveh. My dear Neshama, go to Nineveh. Go into this world and find Gan Eden. Find in the world the place where Hashem is. What does the Yonah do? What do we do in life? Ve'yelech Yafo. Yafo means Yafeh. Yafeh means beauty. It means external beauty. We get excited by the external beauty of this world. And instead of finding Neveh Hashem, instead of finding Gan Eden, something has to attract us out of Gan Eden. Of course, there has to be something. Of course, there has to be something. Nobody gives up Gan Eden for nothing. There's always something that's going to take us away. And we run after the beauty. No different than a man or a woman who's looking to get married. And they only go for beauty. Imagine only going for beauty. It sounds so convincing to anybody who's looking for it. But anybody who has any experience knows beauty doesn't build a life of happiness. It may be valuable. It has its place. But the beauty of the person is not the yafo. The real beauty is what is inside of that person. That's what builds a great home. That's what builds a great life. But how many people do we know? Instead of going for a Gan Eden, I feel very lucky I have this privilege to sometimes help young people to locate who they should go and should not go. And you, you, you hear sometimes See, listen, I, I have sometimes a situation. I tell the boy, you have Gan Eden, right? This is Gan Eden. 
No, I, I, a long time you have Gan Eden. I'm telling you, this is Gan Eden for you. I don't know, this one wows me, this one. Okay, but you're being wowed, Hazaka Baruch. But I'm not saying every wow is the wrong one. But let's say it is, because let's say I know the person. It's not for you. You're being wowed, but it's a mistake. But, you know, very hard to leave Yafo to go to Nineveh. Just a reality. There's Gan Eden and there's Yafo. And of course, we're external, we're physical, and we get attracted by Yafo. Nothing wrong with Yafo, but it should not be the place that we're looking to to reach. It's not the goal of life, Yafo. But that's where we get pulled. Whether it's our external actions, whether it's our physical beauty, or whether it's homes or money or whatever it is. All important things, but not the target. That's what happens to us. That's the story of Yonah. He sent the story of everyone in our lives. We're sent, Hashem says, okay, go. Go to Nineveh. Go practice pleasure in Nineveh for Olam Abba. Go for it. And on our mission, oh, wow, look at that beauty. Yafo. Wait, wait, there's no Gareda in there. You're going the wrong way. That's what happens to us. So the story of Adam on the first day is the story of every single one of us. Every day of our lives. You know, it's interesting. I'll tell you something very interesting. That when a person has a goal of Nineveh, if your goal is Gan Eden in this world, you're going to find so many things in this world that are going to help you get there. You're going to find a lot of Gan Eden pieces around you. You'll find Gan Eden in your marriage. You'll find Gan Eden in your food. You'll find Gan Eden in your work. You'll find Gan Eden in your families. You'll find Gan Eden in everything that you do. It's an amazing thing. If your goal is Gan Eden, if that's where you're looking, Forward to, you're going to see a lot of little Gan Eden opportunities in everything that you do. And if your goal becomes Yafo, all those things will be reasons to complain. The very thing that's Gan Eden becomes your Gehina. The very thing that supposed that was there to bring you pleasure, you will totally misunderstand it and totally misjudge it and it has the opposite effect I'm not going to give you examples it'll get too personal but you and I very well know that sometimes and very often we hear complaints and we complain about the very things that other people will say what? she's complaining about that? that's Gan Eden how could she complain about Gan Eden? she's complaining that her wedding Preparation is exhausting? Wait a second. She's in Gan Eden now. What are you talking about? Why would you complain about that? You're getting your daughter married and you're complaining that you're in Gehina because it's frustrating? It's too hard? What's that? You're in Gan Eden. 
That's just one example. You could learn many, many thousands and millions of examples of the very things that we should be flying from in Gan Eden and enjoying every minute of it. We actually look at it as Gaina. So it all depends where you're going in life. You gotta know, are you targeting Gan Eden or are you targeting Gaina? Nobody's targeting Gaina. But if you're targeting Yafo, you're targeting Gaina. It's one and the same. Yafo and Gaina are in the same place. Because an external world, the external beauty doesn't allow you to see the Gan Eden that's so deeply entrenched in this world. The external beauty keeps you out of real Gan Eden. You'll just go for all the wrong things and you'll see all the wrong things. But if you're focused on Gan Eden, you have a whole different experience in this world. Not that your experience will change, but your enjoyment will change. Everything will change because your target is all different. So the answer to the question I asked a few minutes back, oh, it's so obvious, we should just leave now because if the purpose of life is pleasure, so I got it, I'm good. Now I just, that's my goal. I never, I never realized it could be my goal, but now it is, so I'm good. No, you're not good. Because Adam Arishon is trying to be, Hashem is trying to convince him to go there. That means going to Gan Eden isn't as simple as you think. And living a life of pleasure is not as simple as it sounds. And just because you want it, or just because you think it's obvious, that doesn't mean anything. Because you could want it and be doing every wrong thing to get there. So the study of pleasures becomes one of the more important subjects that we can work on in our lives. Don't think it's simple. That's the first thing you have to know. It's not simple. Pleasures, A, are critical as we learned, and they're not simple as we learned. If they were simple, everybody would be walking into Gan Eden. They're not simple. You have to learn the subject well. You have to know what is and what isn't. You have to know different types of pleasure. Not all pleasures are created equal, as we mentioned last week. The pleasure of playing Lego on the floor is not the same pleasure as building a family or building a relationship with another or with the creator of the world. It's not the same pleasure. You can't compare that. You have to know how many kinds of pleasures are there? How many types are there? How do I make sure I enjoy every type? There's nothing wrong with the lower pleasure. Nothing, nothing wrong with Lego enjoyment. But even then, you got to learn how to do it. If you don't know how to build Legos, you can't enjoy that either. To every level. How many levels are there? How do you enjoy each level? What do I have to watch out from? What's the yafo in each pleasure? Because in every pleasure out there, there's a yafo. There is a, what we call a counterfeit. Looks like it. Feels like it. It's not it. Adam didn't want to go to Gan Eden because he had a yafo too. 
And that was stopping him. There was a counterfeit that was standing in his face. He said, no, that's Gan Eden. He was saying to Hashem, that's not, that's not Gan Eden. This is Gan Eden. Hashem said, no, no. Here, this is Gan Eden. That's not Gan Eden. The Yafo exists in every pleasure, every type. And if you're not aware of the counterfeit, you can't collect money in a store. You can't be at the cash register if you don't know what's a counterfeit $100 bill. Because you'll collect millions of dollars and as you go to get them from your basement, you realize you got nothing. You have zero. You thought you had billions of dollars. You have nothing. You have a piece of paper. Because you have to know what's counterfeit. You can't close your eyes and just keep going. So how many different pleasures are there in this world? How many different types of pleasure are there in this world? Rabbi Weinberg, Allah Shalom, categorizes it into five different classes of pleasure. I'm not sure exactly where he got it from. I don't know if it's scientific, I don't know if it was his own words, but it definitely gives us a lot to learn from. Maybe we could add our own a little bit as we go through it. This is not going to be a one class, as you could, I'm sure you're imagining. This is a big subject, but you know what? It's worthwhile. Sometimes I teach this to young people and I say, you know, there are people who lived 120 years and never once heard about the subject of pleasures. How, how upsetting is that? How sad is that? You could live 120 years and no one ever told you that Gan Eden is a choice and there's a place that looks exactly like Gan Eden. Make sure you stay away from it. How many different types of pleasures are there? So the rabbi compares it to an airplane, which is not a bad comparison. It's actually a very, very proper comparison. Because this world, this planet, is literally an airplane. We are right now flying in this planet. This planet is going around the sun. Very fast speeds, much faster than an airplane. And we're in it. We're on for the ride. Till they tell us to check out. It's a round trip that you can be sure. But we don't know when the ticket back is, that's all. And right now, as we are flying through this atmosphere, there are people checking in as we speak. Right now, people were born. They're checking into this planet. And as we speak, people are checking out too. We're not going to talk about what happens when you check out. Or what happened before you came in. Let's leave that for a different time. Well, let's talk about the trip. Let's not talk about where the airplane was or where it's going. Let's talk about the actual trip. Let's talk about an airplane. You have a fellow traveling from New York to China, 16 hour flight. He has business to do there. He gets on an airplane. There are five different ways of going on an airplane. You can go first class. That's the way to travel. First class. 
anyone who can afford for first class and travels, anything else? Gotta think, gotta check him out a little bit. First class, nice. Big, wide beds. Sheets better than what you have at home. Covers and service. Oof. The service. Sir, can I help you? Sir, you want a massage? <laughs> Sir, can I serve you? Can I get that for you? Should I turn the lights off? Should I close the window for you, sir? Do you want pajamas, sir? Do you want a shower, sir? Hey, unbelievable. You don't get that in your own house. You're laughing. I know a person that actually bought a round-trip ticket. He got a good deal in first class just to go and come back. <laughs> Serious. It's not a joke. Where do you get service like that? It's unbelievable. Sixteen hours later, you don't want to get off. You slept good. You ate good. You're clean. You're ready. You get off the plane, you've, you never felt so good in your life. You're ready for the next business meeting. Come on, let's go. Now on that same plane, there's a guy in business class. Now business class is good. Not as good as first class. There's no showers in business class. And the service isn't as good. They come by every once in a while, not like first class. The beds aren't as good. Everything's a notch down, but you know, it's a pretty good ride. You probably get to China and you're on your way. And then you have the Hazi cases in third class. <laughs> Hi, what can I tell you? Economy for 16 hours. I mean, economy for three, four, five hours. Okay. But economy for 16 hours? I think those chairs, they're not really made for the average person. You have to lose weight before you go on those. And God forbid the one person next to you was a little overweight. 16 hours, you can't breathe. And service and economy, it's anti-service. If you actually ask for something, they get upset at you. <coughs> Listen, I try to the economy, that's how I know. <laughs> and God forbid you have to go to the bathroom and you're not in the aisle room. The guy next to you says, oh, come on, you're kidding me. What's the problem? And then finally you get over him and then you have to come back after the bathroom. And you get another look as if you're supposed to lock yourself in the bathroom. But that, that's the experience. And then you're sitting, you can't move. By the time you land the airplane, you need three days to recuperate before you start your business. Or you can go fourth class. I'm not sure if you ever travel fourth class. 
fourth class yet, they put you with the luggage. Listen, it's a cheap ticket. You're gonna get there in 16 hours. The same time, by the way, get there in 16 hours. You land the plane the same time. There's not much service there. There's no seats really. Probably bouncing around the whole time. But if you hold on tight, you'll be okay. You land 16 hours later, you have to go to a doctor. But I keep saying you'll be a couple of weeks at a commission, but you'll, you'll get back. And then you can go fifth class. I'm sure about here in Sloan fifth class, but basically fifth class is you get a very, very long rope and you tie it on the wing of the airplane and you just put on your mask and you just hold on tight. Because one room move in fifth class and you're So in fifth class, you really have to hold on. There's no room for error in fifth class. It's gonna be an interesting ride, kind of a rough ride. But if you hold on tight, the plane lands, guess what? You're right there with everybody else. Except you need an ambulance. You gotta check into the ER immediately. That's the truth. What's so interesting about this airplane is that everybody's on the same plane. Everyone started the same time. And everyone's getting off at the same time. But you can't tell me they all travel the same. Did you enjoy the ride? Fifth class? It's going to be pretty rough to say that. That's our predicament in this world. I can't imagine a more beautiful mashal than this. This is the airplane. We're all on the airplane right now. Except that first class or fifth class is not defined by the place or the price. It's a choice that you make. It's a choice that I make. Imagine, it's not about how much you can afford. Imagine you go to the airport, so what do you want to fly? I think I'll go fifth class. What? Are you crazy? Why would you go fifth class? Oh, I love the rope. The rope is so nice. I saw the rope and I got so excited by it. I mean, those goggles. I mean, I just want that. Are you crazy? You got excited by the helmet? Come on. What are you doing? But that's real. First class and fifth class, or anything in between, is up to you. We're all traveling in the same plane. But not all of us are maximizing our pleasure. And guess what? Every class of pleasure is nice to have. And every class of pleasure is another pleasure that helps you get to a higher pleasure. There's nothing wrong with fifth class pleasures, as we'll learn. You can have fifth and fourth, unlike an airplane, where one, it's not exactly like the mashal, where one is, you can't be on one or the other. One or the other, you can't be on both. But in the real world, you can enjoy fifth and fourth and third and second and first, and all of them come together. 
As long as you're not headed Yafo, you're doing you're gonna be fine. As long as you don't go for the things that are misleading you, you're gonna get everything. But we have to learn what is fifth class pleasures? Okay, we got the airplane. It's a cute story. But what does it mean in real life? What is that airplane describing? So fifth class pleasure obviously is the lowest type of pleasure. It's the lowest kind. What kind of pleasures do we find in a person who is living in fifth class? What type of pleasures are available to him? If I'm just going to be in fifth class, I don't want to go to first class. I'm okay in fifth class. No one would be ever okay. But let's imagine that one would say I'm okay. We would tell him, okay, at least enjoy fifth class. At least learn how to enjoy it. What pleasures do we find in fifth class? And the answer is fifth class pleasures are physical pleasures. That's what's available in fifth class, nothing else. Physical pleasures like food, clothes, a home, relationships, music, beautiful scenery, anything that involves the five senses is within the category of fifth class. There's nothing wrong with enjoying fifth class. How does the Torah view enjoying the physical world? Is it something that we should stay away from? Should we not try to enjoy too much? So Hazal tells no, the opposite. Hazal say that if a person has an opportunity to taste a new fruit, a new fruit they never experienced before, and someone offered him this new fruit, and says, no, I, I don't want it. I don't want it. Too much enjoyment. Hazal say he's going to give a count in the next world for that. They're going to tell him, I don't understand. Hashem made a beautiful thing for you to enjoy. You're not going to enjoy it? Imagine making dessert for somebody and says, no, I'm really, I, I, I don't want to take from your stuff. What do you mean? Part of practicing Olam Haba is to take pleasure in this world. Yes, there are pleasures and there is different things that we shouldn't do, which we'll talk about. But just saying, I don't want to enjoy this world, that's not a good thing. In fact, the Torah calls the Nazir who decided to separate from wine on his own, that in a sort of way, he's a sinner. He's a holy man. We describe him as someone holy. Why is he a sinner? Because there's an aspect of a Nazir that's not so great. Maybe necessary, and it may be what's needed for him. But it's not so great. And that is, God says you can have wine. Why are you making wine forbidden on you? Hashem told us certain things we can't have. Okay, you're going to add more? So clearly the Torah does not tell us to separate from the pleasures of this world. It's not true. There's a place and time and all of that. But the idea of separating from pleasures is not a Jewish concept. As we're learning, it's the preparation for Allah. 
So fifth class pleasures are physical pleasures. That's what you find over there. But you have to know the rules before you can expect to enjoy the pleasures of life. And the first rule you have to know is that any kind of pleasure, any category of pleasure, and now we're in fifth class, we're in that category, physical pleasures, you first have to be aware of the counterfeit. Just like, just like a cashier needs to first learn what the fake hundred looks like. You first have to know what fake pleasures are or something fake about your category. Because if you don't know it, you may be just, you're probably going for it and not realizing. You're going yafo and not realizing where you're going. What is the counterfeit? In fifth class, what do you have to be very careful from when you're living in fifth class? This is the word that I think I made up. I don't think I saw it anywhere. And the counterfeit of fifth class is very simple. The counterfeit is the mindset that more is more. More is more is fake. Okay, you probably have no idea what I'm saying. Let me explain to you. More is more says like this. If I enjoy something physically once, the more I enjoy it, the more I have it, excuse me, the more I will enjoy it. Simple. It's the same apple, the same mouth, the same taste buds, the same body. So if I enjoy an apple once, I'll enjoy it twice and eight times. And more is more. The more I'm involved in the physical pleasures, the more I'm going to enjoy the physical world. It's actually very logical. Makes sense. In mathematics, they would say it's obvious, self-evident. And why not? Makes sense. But the reality is not that way. That's fake. It's not true. I'll give you an obvious example that maybe I've used before, but I only use it because it's so obvious. You take a person who loves, loves to eat steak. Loves, loves steak. More than anything in the world. He has only one problem. He can't afford it. So he can't eat it. It's expensive to have steak, especially a good one. So he saves up all his money from month to month, and on Rosh Chodesh, he gets to have one piece of steak. If you interview him and ask him, so what's your favorite day of the month? He would say, more than Shabbat? Oh, yeah, a little bit. Why? Steak? I love steak. You don't understand. Die for steak. Okay? And this is going on for years. And finally, this guy hits it. He wins the lottery. Guys, he's making tons of money. And he's continuing his Rosh Chodesh item. And then one day he realizes, what am, I, what am I doing? Why am I waiting for Rosh Chodesh? I don't have to wait anymore. I used to have to wait, but now I don't have to wait. I'm good now. So he goes to the store. He goes to the store and he buys 60 steaks for the month. Twice a day. Nice. 
And why not? I can afford it. Why not? If it is, I'm going to tell you, why are you doing that? Why are you overspending? Why not? Okay. You're right. Why not? So now he's all excited. First afternoon, he's going to have his first steak. Unbelievable steak. At night, another steak. Next day, another steak. Twice. Good. Right. I'm sure that by day four, five, six, seven, the guy is going to be so sick of steak that we're not going to say what he's going to do when he sees it. So, and then, two weeks later, he's in a restaurant. And he's with his friend. And his friend orders this beautiful steak. Wow. Tasty. And he's sitting there and he's so jealous. He says, why are you jealous? You could order one. I know, but I can't enjoy it. I wish I could enjoy steak like you, but I cannot anymore because I burnt myself out of enjoying steak. You should know this is not a steak example. This is a life example of all physical pleasures. Physical pleasures, more is not more. Actually, more is less. And actually what happens is that when you burn out steak and then you'll burn out something else and burn out this relationship and burn out this pleasure, what's going to happen is that you're going to need pleasure in your life, but you're not going to find it. Because you burnt this one, gone, not available to you, not available to you. Not, and now you have to look for different highs. Tell me, why do people turn to alcohol? If they were high on life, why would they need to be high on anything else? Nobody has a natural desire for alcohol. No one is born with a desire for marijuana or drugs or even for smoking. We have a desire to eat. That's natural. But a desire for things like that, why would anyone do that? They know that it's dangerous. People think that if we educate children, we're going to help them. I guess we could a little bit, but they know. So many children today, so many are involved in this stuff. You have no idea. You know, open your eyes and see what's going on. You have no idea. You don't know. Why would they do that? What reason are they hurting themselves? And the answer is simple. Because they're, they're not able to get high on life. They used to get high on steak. They got rid of that. You know, and the most dangerous is the people who have and could afford. The guy who can't afford is limited by his own limitations. He can only travel once in a while. He can only get once in a while here. Okay, So he enjoys what he has. But now you can afford it. I used to go on vacation once a year. He loved it. But now you have money. Let's go 10 times. You know, let's go every other weekend. And why not? I love it. What's going to happen is, after a few, three, four, five times, you're not going to enjoy that anymore like you used to. And so it is with everything. Every physical pleasure has a boundary. It may feel like 
it doesn't matter. More is more, but it's not. And if you go into the more than you could, and more than you should, then you're going for yafo. You're going for something that looks nice. You know, it's very similar to a person. How do you feel on Motsa'e Kippur? If I interviewed people in the shul here, by Ne'ilah of Yom Kippur. But you know what? Better yet. You ever go shopping for food on Tisha Ab afternoon? I'm not, I don't think we should do that on Tisha Ab. But let's say we did. Let's say at 5 o'clock, so let's go shopping. With all the family. Do you know how much food they're going to buy? I'm going to eat. When are you going to eat this? Tonight? And this one? Tonight? And that one? Tonight? And this? Tonight? We're going to have waffles, ice cream, another kind of ice cream. We're going to have muffins. We're going to have this. We're going to have that. We're going to... And, and you come home with a thousand dollars worth of food for the night. Because right now you're starving. Can't wait. And you will know what happens. Only takes about 30 years to figure this out. But at some point you realize that eating after a fast is not as enjoyable as you once thought it was going to be. Right? You eat, but like within five minutes you get a stomach ache. And you can't eat anymore. And you want to eat because you made 35 things, but you can't eat them. And someone said, well, why'd you eat them? I can't. That's the way of the physical world. Our eyes are bigger than the reality. What looks like is much bigger than what it is. It's yafo, but it's nothing inside. Not nothing, but much less than you imagined. So when you are falling for the more is more, because you can, because you can afford it, you go on vacations every other week, you go every other month, you go, you overdo it in your physical world, pleasures, you're gonna start losing them one by one. And when you start losing them, A, you're not gonna enjoy the physical world, and B, you're gonna start looking for alternatives that are very damaging, because nobody could live without pleasure in a world that's preparing you for pleasure. So beware of the counterfeit. More is more is fake. And I will end with this. If we look in the Torah, we will find that in the Mishkan, when they built all the vessels of the Mishkan, the Torah gave extensive detail for the building of each one. The Mishkan actually represents the great human, the way, the formation, the kelim, each represents a part of the body. But we're not going to talk about that right now. But bottom line, in the Mishkan, there are three vessels, three kelim. These are the only three that get crowns. They get a golden crown on top. Getting a crown is obviously a sign of greatness or something special. When someone walks out with a crown, that means they're special. 
A Kalah puts a crown because she's special. A king puts a crown because he's special. So Hashem says, in the Mishkan, only three Kelim get crowns. One of them is the Aron HaKodesh, where they put the Torah and the Luhot, no surprise there, gets a crown on top. Another item that gets a crown is the Mizbeach, the golden Mizbeach inside, not the outer Mizbeach. The inner Mizbeach gets a crown on top, a golden crown. And finally, the Shulhan, there is a table inside where they put bread from week to week. Also, says the Torah, you make a crown around the table. So three, somebody asked you, what are the three most important kelim in the Mishkan? So from the crowns, you know, it's the Aron, it's the Mizbeah HaPenimi, and it is the Shulchan. And if you look in the Torah, basically says the same, that each one gets a golden crown. Except that when you come to the table, to the Shulchan, the Torah goes a little bit different than the first two and says that unlike the Aron, where the crown goes directly on the Aron, on the box. And unlike the Mizbeach, where the crown goes directly on the Mizbeach, when it comes to the Shulhan, the Torah says, do not put the crown on the table. Don't put it on the table directly. First build a border, which is made out of wood, which is about a tefah, about this much above the table. And on top of the border, you put a golden crown. So that's interesting. Three vessels get crowns on top. Two of them get directly on the item. And one of them says, no, you can't put the golden crown on the table. You got to put a border. And on top of the border, you put the crown. Why is it that way? So I will share with you a beautiful explanation. A beautiful explanation that's so much more than just about the Shulchan. You know, each item in the Mishkan resembles something. It's, it's representing something. The Aron is representing Torah, the learning of Torah. Hashem says the learning of Torah gets a crown on the table. On, excuse me, on the box. When it comes to Mizbeah HaPenimi, what is a Mizbeah? It's a place where we do service of Hashem, where we do mitzvot. Crown. You get a crown for Torah in this world, you get a crown for mitzvot. Kindness is kind of avodah, it's work. Mitzvot between man and God, between men and, and men. Shulhan, what does that represent? The Shulhan represents Parnasah. Shulhan Melachim. So Shulhan where we eat, where we keep our physical body going. Says the Torah that also gets a crown. It's also important. But this one, you first put a border. Why? Answer is because when it comes to Torah learning, you put a crown directly on the Torah. You don't need boundaries around Torah learning. There are people learning an hour a day, and there are people learning 10 minutes, and there are people learning 15 hours and 16 hours a day. And nobody's getting burnt out of Torah learning. Yes, if you don't know how to learn, or you never used to learn, and they put you in a class for seven hours, you'll get burnt out, not from the Torah, but from your inability, because you're not used to it. But real Torah learning, 
You can do it for 60, nobody says, oh, I did it 16 hours, I can't. I'm burnt out of Torah. It's not like steak. Torah is not steak. No matter how much Torah you learn, you will enjoy it the same. There are people 99 years old sitting and learning Torah. And they're loving it more than they did when they were younger. Clear. Fact. Hashem says, put the crown on the Aron. When it comes to the Mizbeah, represents Avodah. There's not too much Avodah. There's not too much Hesed. Yes, sometimes you need a break. Sometimes you have to rest. But I'm not talking about that. But he said, nah, I did Hesed yesterday. I, hesed, I smiled yesterday. I smiled today. I'm getting burnt out. I can't smile anymore. It's not like that. The more Avodah you do, the more you love it. The more mitzvot you do, the more you love it. Hashem says, take the crown and put it directly on the Mizbeah. The Mizbeah, the Avodah deserves a crown. A crown is not steak. Excuse me, mitzvot, Avodah is not steak. But when it comes to Shulchan, the table represents physical pleasures. Hashem says physical pleasures also get a crown. Like we learned today, gets a crown, for sure. But wait, wait, don't put it on the table. It's not automatic. Just because you have a table of melachim, just because you have all the pleasures of the world available to you, that's not in itself getting you a crown. Don't celebrate the table. First, you got to put a boundary around your table. You have to know the boundaries of steak. You have to know the boundaries of your mouth how you talk, many, many boundaries. You're probably going to ask me, how do I know the boundaries of everything? Steak is obvious, but what about everything else? How do I know when this is too much? How do I know when this is, that's next week. But comes the Torah and says, listen, having physical ability to enjoy this world, that doesn't get a crown. That gets a maybe crown, maybe. First, let me see it. Let me see the table that you're setting up. It has boundaries around it? Or oh, you put boundaries? You have rules for your steak? Once in a while? You have your boundary for your vacation? You have boundary for everything? Oh, you have boundaries? You get a crown. You're special. You're enjoying this physical world as much as possible. Take off the boundary. Take off the crown. Because you have no crown that goes directly on the table. Gan Eden. Gan Eden is in this world. Our preparation for Olam Haba is how much pleasure can we get out of every minute in this world. Gan Eden is here. It's our preparation. We need sometimes to be convinced into it. It's silly, but it's how it is because we like Yafa. Because we like sometimes things that look. But the Yafal very often is taking us to Gaina. Gan Eden, actually the word Eden, Eden means pleasure. The Ibn Ezra says Eden is also written Eden Ain Dalit Nun. You could read it Ain Dalit Ad Hen until here. Adkan. If you have an atkan, 
If you know where the Atkan is until here, you have a chance to be in Gan Eden. Hashem. We're going to continue the study of pleasures over the coming weeks so we'll be able to understand each section and each part for itself to be able to prepare properly in this world of pleasure. Baruch Amen Amen. Thank you. Thank you.